Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Assessing your strengths and weaknesses as an athlete. We are all unique athletes. We all have different strengths and weaknesses as runners, and they actually impact our running performance to some extent. Today, we're going to be chatting about the common strengths and weaknesses that we see and how you can use this knowledge about yourself to really take your training to the next level. We always think that knowledge is power, and that is the best way to become a better runner is to take that deep dive and evaluating kind of like what your strengths and weaknesses are and see what you can do to become better. Today I have Jason Phillippe with me who has been coaching for about a decade now and we're just going to dive into the three major topics that we see most of our athletes fall into these categories. So Jason, tell us a little bit about your coaching background and your athlete background just to kick things off. I started running much like Ben Jacobs in middle school and started going out for cross country in high school. And I knew when I graduated, I wanted to continue my passion for running into the collegiate level. So I went to River Falls, um, which is a D3 school. I ran there. And then as soon as I graduated, I tried to get involved in coaching right away where I coached high school athletes at various schools in the metro area and then started coaching adults through Lifetime Fitness and then continued on to run for PRs. Um, And I'm back coaching again at the collegiate level where, where it all started. So um, it's been fun to coach all ages and getting to see kind of the, the growth and the progression from young athletes all the way up to adulthood, training for all distances as well, you know, short uh, races like the 800 meters to the mile all the way up to the marathon. Yeah, it's so great to hear the diverse um, group of athletes that you've worked with over the years. And I know that these strengths and weaknesses, they kind of come out in all different walks of life. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear that you, just like Ben Jacobs, started running in middle school. And what's unique about both of your stories is uh, Ben Jacobs, for those of you who haven't heard this story, he went out in middle school, cross country, just to kind of stay in shape for other sports that he was doing. And he was very bad. So like the first race um, in middle school, cross country, it took him about 36 minutes to run a 5K. And so he was like one of the last finishers. Um, that's kind of like his starting point. And then Jason, Coach Jason over here, uh, his middle school story, a little bit different. It was the fact that, you know, the presidential mile that you used to have to do in gym class, he just came in um, right away in like first or second place, I believe, running. What was the time that you ran for that first mile you ever ran? Uh, in sixth grade, yeah, I believe it was 6.52. And um, well, the first mile was 7.08. And then when we did it again in the spring, I broke seven. So 6.52. And then just progressing, like Victoria said, I was always like second or third in my grade. I was never the top guy. But I think that that passion, um, you know, drew me into the sport of track and field. Right. And so it's so interesting to hear that, you know, he didn't have a running background, but naturally somehow, you know, he was the fastest person in the class. And this is where we're kind of getting into some of these strength, strengths and weaknesses as a runner. And this kind of brings up that first point. And some of these are just like uncontrollable. There's just things that like are born, we're born with. It's a natural inclination um, for our bodies. And, you know, some people, they just have natural gifted speed. And I would definitely say, you know, just based on Jason's experience and his story in the sport, he is someone who has been gifted with that natural ability and speed. And I think we kind of see that play out in his running career. Um, Of course, he worked hard for it. But when you see those stories of people who um, have hardly any experience, and then they go in and they're just already at the, the top of their class or way above average, that's what you're seeing is like a natural speed, someone who's just naturally gifted at running. And we don't really talk about this a lot. We don't, we don't like to talk about it because we like to think that all of our hard work is 
why we're at the level that we're at. But really, in reality, we're here today to say some people are more naturally gifted than others, and that's okay. And that just kind of is where your starting point is, and you can work harder to kind of get better. Um, so how do you know, Jason, since you are someone who is better at the shorter distances, um, how do you know that like you have that skill or how does someone else who's listening know that maybe that's where their talent is? Maybe they have more raw speed than the average person. Um, well, as a kid, it's funny cause as a kid, you know, you're going to look at who can run the mile the fastest and, Typically, the kids that aren't that fast are going to think that those kids are so much faster um, with the longer stuff. And now as an adult, it's kind of the opposite, right? We think, oh, someone that's fast at the mile, it's because they have all this raw speed. But, you know, I'm much better at the longer stuff. So um, I would say as an adult, to figure out if you have a lot of, you know, raw speed or talent as far as speed goes, I would run something shorter, like a 400, um, as fast as you can and just see what your pace is. And um you know, it's funny thinking back to one of the longtime coaches here in Minnesota who's gone on to coach four sub four minute milers. Um, one thing he did to figure out who his milers were going to be every year for high school was he'd line them all up on the start line. They'd run a 400 all out. He'd give them about a 10 or 15 minute break and he'd have them come and do it again. And the kids that were the most consistent from the first time to their second, those are the ones he knew were going to be his milers. And he'd train them for the mile. Everybody else he'd bump up to a longer distance runner. So, yeah, that's really interesting. And I know, you know, a lot of people listening, they're adults, and so they can't go back and say, yeah, you know, in sixth grade, I was the fastest person in gym class. And maybe you can, and that could be your sign right there. But like you were saying, the way that an adult could maybe tell that, you know, they have some natural speed there is, you know, if if your pace is in a 5K or even like a one mile race, or let's say you're someone in a 5K, you go out in your first miles just way faster than your last couple miles. Um, You're someone who feels like you can just go really fast on your strides and you just feel like you have this speed and and you do because you see the pace on your garment and stuff and you love doing, you know, those short uh, speed workouts. That's probably a sign and an indication that you're someone who has um, that like extra speed gene, you know, you're, you're someone who's good at uh, the short distance stuff and how you can actually use that to your advantage. Cause it's like people who are listening might say, well, that's great. I'm not that person. Or maybe you are listening and saying, yeah, I am really fast at short stuff, but I can't put it together in the long distance stuff. Um, this, this is great to know about you because if you're someone who is already fast, if you can run 800 meter repeats, like way faster than you can run a 5k and just you just have this speed, but you can never put it together in a longer distance race. You need to train specifically for your goals. So if your goal is a marathon and I was coaching you, I would not have you doing speed work because your speed is there. We just need to build that endurance and the training for you know the specific event that you want to do well in is so critical and so key. And I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Jason, because you are someone who has, you know, more speed inclination. If we look at your mile time versus, you know, some of your longer distance times, I know that you've had to really work harder to get your longer distance times um, Mm -hmm. down and to be kind of more in line with the short distance stuff. What are kind of your tips for people who are trying to navigate carrying that speed over a longer distance? Yeah, I think it goes back to like you said, what, yeah, what are your goals? Um, and what is the event specific that you're going to train for? Um, so you always want to train with uh, your weaknesses in mind. So if you're a speed person and you're training for longer races, like a 10K or even, even a half marathon or a marathon, you want to incorporate more tempo, more threshold work, uh, more strength work, like hill, hill training. And, um, you know, if it's the opposite, if you're a pretty good marathoner or a half marathoner, but you really want to lower your 5K time and you're going to spend some time consistently focusing on speed, then we're going to incorporate a higher amount of VO2 max work through speed interval sessions. Um, but all in all, you know, most people that we are working with are probably trying to improve all across the board, but I just think it's easier if you, if you have that vision, um, for one event specific for let's say the next six months, cause then you can train specifically for that event. Um, and you may implement sort of a mixture of workouts. So you may have a little bit of speed, um, but the primary um, ingredients are going to be those endurance type workouts. 
And I think it's great to note that really utilizing that speed when you're younger, because as you get older and as you, you know, hit your mid thirties, late forties, um, your muscles actually aren't able to, um, you start to lose strength as you age. And so if you take advantage of that speed when you're young and you're able to really capitalize on that and become as fast as you can at these shorter distance races, you know, 5k, 10k. Um, then when you do kind of move up to the, the marathon and half marathon, you have such a strong foundation. You're already so fast that it's just going to carry over as you move to the endurance events. Now that's not to say that you have to do it that way, but that's just kind of a common way that a lot of elite runners, um, do their, their professional career is you see them kind of staying on the track until their late twenties. And then once they kind of have reached that peak of, okay, I think this is all the speed that my body has left. They move to the roads and kind of doing like the half marathon and then into the marathon. Um, and usually the speed will translate over once they have a couple of years of that endurance training, but it is, it is important to really make sure you're shifting focus, um, for the events that you're training for, because I'm sure as you know, a lot of the great marathoners now can attest to uh, when they were doing track, uh, you know, the 5K, 10K shorter distance stuff, their training looked vastly different than the marathon training. Um, and to the naked eye, to someone who doesn't know a lot about training, it might look similar. You know, they might still be running 100 miles a week. That maybe is the same. Um, they might still be doing, you know, tempo workouts and fart legs. But the details of how they're doing the workouts and where they're doing the workouts and what type of workouts is so important. And so just knowing that it all lies in the details and that's really the area where it will make your break or your training, um, over time. Um, so I guess for people who are listening and they're not someone who has that natural speed and they're like, well, great. Uh, what do I do? You know, I, I'm someone who's better at the long distance running. Um, I, I'm someone who can go forever, but I, I just feel like I I don't like speed work and all of that stuff. That's um, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Some athletes have, you know, that slow twitch. Mm -hmm. And basically that means you have more muscle fibers in you that are better for endurance events. Um, People who are really great at the marathon or Ironman, I'm sure if we went in and we took, you know, a sample of what type of muscle fibers that they have, they might just naturally have been born with more slow twitch muscles and it allows them to be better at the longer distance races. Um, Some signs that you might be better at the long distance events. I will kind of let Jason go into detail of this because he knows a lot of people himself who, um, who are just much better at, you know, the marathon, half marathon, but in the shorter distance, they don't have the same raw speed. So what are some signs that someone might be better at the long distance events? Well, like you said, they may not be doing as many shorter interval sessions and be able to hit as fast of paces, um, but they can consistently run, you know, cons- splits with, which they're, where they're not slowing down. So if you take a half marathon, for example, um, you know, are there, are all their miles within maybe a 30 second range of each other? Um, that, that would be a good sign that you're running consistently. Um, and you're not slowing way down. You're not going out too fast. Cause a lot of times we see that the people at the raw speed, they're just going out way too fast and they're slowing down and they lack the aerobic endurance. Um, uh, but for those people that have that aerobic base, and they just can keep on running forever, they are um, more likely to stick to kind of that certain pace range of, I'd say, about a 30-second range, Um, and sometimes they can even negative split. And if those people are trying to focus, kind of going back to what we talked about a a few minutes ago, if they're trying to increase their speed over time, um, let's say they really want to focus on a 5K training cycle to get a PR, um, I definitely recommend then shying away from, you know, the, the marathon training and just going all in on, on the higher intensity speeds for workouts, you're going to take longer recovery time in between those. And so those are going to be some of the differences. Um, and you may end up running less mileage um, just because, you know, you're not getting as, as long a long runs in. Um, and you don't want to increase your overall volume at the same time you're increasing your intensity in your runs too. So um, that's one thing I've done in the past. I've made that mistake and that sets you up for injury. So 
Yeah, that's great advice. And I think the biggest thing that I see when I know someone's good at the long distance stuff is they really prefer those long runs. They love long runs um, because you love what you're good at, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why we we tend to see athletes who have that raw speed. They tend to like speed work. They tend to like short distance races. Um, For someone who is more of like the slow twitch, who can just go and go and go, like really good endurance, there's someone who maybe is inclined to want to just see how far they can run and always want to do long runs. Um, it, I mean, but it, it really depends. It just that has the tendency because that's what they're, they're good at. Um, I'd say it's about how quickly you recover as well. Like for me, I know I can recover pretty quick and bounce back from a speed workout. But if I do a really long run, my, my joints are achy for a couple of days. And it might be vice versa for people who are more endurance type athletes. They may struggle to recover as fast when they do a speed workout. Right. And it's important to say that, you know, just because someone has more slow twitch where, you know, they can go for longer periods of time, more aerobic versus fast twitch muscle fibers, which is someone with like that raw speed, you can train your fast twitch or you can train your muscle fibers to have more endurance. You can train your body to kind of like overcome these things and, and be the type of runner that you want to be. But this is just more of like your natural inclination. Um, And this might also be the reason why you can beat someone in the 5K, but in the marathon, you can never touch them. Um, Or vice versa. You might be someone who beats someone in every single marathon or half marathon, but someone can run, you know, a one-mile race way faster than you. So it just really depends athlete to athlete. Um, There is no right or wrong. It's just knowing yourself more as a runner can really just help you become a better runner because once we know these things about ourselves, we know how we can train to really optimize our strengths and weaknesses. We kind of know where our strengths are. You know, if Jason wanted to train for that shorter speed work, he knows that's kind of like where his strengths lie. And and if he wanted to do a marathon, he knows like he really has to focus more on that, the threshold in the long runs. Um, and it's just good to know that about yourself um, so that you feel like you're, uh, just aware of how you improve as a runner in general. So I guess we kind of covered just the whole fast twitch, slow twitch, and that natural speed. And the next uh, component of, you know, your strengths and weaknesses as a runner, it's also something that a lot of people are just naturally gifted with. Um, You know, we're all made genetically different, and we all have different bodies and different backgrounds coming into this sport. And so one thing that is really common for athletes is if they're injury prone or if they're just super durable. Um, And this is just sometimes feels really unfair, just like the one above. But, you know, there's some people you see it on Instagram, you see it in real life where they can run every single day. They can run the day after a marathon. I mean, they can just hammer the miles two to three runs a day. Um, And you might be someone who has been running for just as long as them, but for whatever reason, like your body breaks after a certain mileage per week. You just know that you perform better on less. You're someone who just gets injured if you do too much. Um, So often that can feel unfair, you know, because it's like, why does that person, how can they do that to their body and not get hurt? Um, So I don't know if Jason, you want to kind of talk a little bit about this and how it has affected your running over the years because Jason's someone that is injury prone, um, but he still competes at a high level. Yeah, I mean, I try to do the best I can. I'm not, if you look at my times and you, you look at all the cal- online calculators, you know, based on my mile time, my 5K time, it's, they say that my half marathon and my marathon time should be significantly faster. Um, and I know that I would have to really dedicate myself to training consistently, like training cycle after cycle, because it really takes, um, you know, a lot of training blocks back to back to reach your potential, but I would have to not only have, uh, dedicated training cycles, I'd have to stay, uh, physically and injury free, um, and healthy. So, uh, that's one thing I haven't really been able to do, but if I was going to launch into a new cycle, I would definitely be looking to. Uh, increase my overall mileage and just spend more time building my aerobic engine. So um, I know one of the questions on here was talking about how can we build a person's aerobic engine without adding higher mileage. Um, so some cross-training ways that I would I would be looking to implement would be biking. 
that would be my number one, um, just because with all the new technology now, the trainers that they have and these apps, it's it's pretty slick to get a good workout in. Um, but also swimming or skiing. I know cross-country skiing season is upon us here in the Midwest, so I have a lot of athletes who are getting out and they're starting to you know roller ski and then that's going to transition to skiing. Right, and I know one of the stories that I like that you've shared before is that in college um, you were kind of – you're. In college, cross country and track, you're put in pace groups based on your, you know, your race results and where your fitness level is. Um, Jason was always placed in a group where, you know, the three other guys in that group, they were running uh, 70, 80 miles a week. And Jason could only really ever handle like 45, 50 max. Um, So just knowing that you can be at a different mileage than someone else, but still be, you know, competitive with them and playing that compare game can be really tricky um, in this uh, area because you have people that are at the same physical ability as you. And then you start seeing their training versus your training. And that's when people can start kind of questioning themselves and placing doubt, um, where it, you just got to really mentally focus on like what you're doing and what works for you and knowing if you are injury prone or not, I think that's a great, uh, great lesson to learn. You know, how, how do we know? Um, so Jason, how did you kind of come to the conclusion that you're just someone that, can't handle as many miles as you know other people or you're just more injury prone like when did this happen and kind of walked me through the timeline I think as a college athlete you know you're expected to come into the season with a certain aerobic base established um, and typically they want you running at least 50 to 60 miles a week in the summer depending on the program and level you're at but you know I was always someone that was working a full-time job and it was motivation was was lacking at times and I'd probably come in with around 30 to 40 miles a week in the summer so I think that just I wasn't setting myself up for success right away but um just coming into the season expecting to do high volume workouts you know that took a toll on me and then if I was asked to do long runs I was just noticing my body was not recovering or I was starting to break down so I think that uh just a long slow build up is is kind of the way to go there Right. And I think one of the things that stands out to me is just knowing throughout like your marathon training cycles, there there have been times where you've been, you know, consistently running at a certain mileage for a while. And then um, for whatever reason, you know, you kind of bump it up to like what you get to maybe 55, 60 miles a week. And I've seen it happen multiple times where it's just like you basically have a season ending injury um, because you go above like 55 miles in a week. Um, yeah which which is crazy because at the level that Jason's at um he you know 2 246 marathon uh, running 55 miles a week is really on the lower end for someone at that level but you know his body just it doesn't it doesn't it's not as durable and like what do your other um running partners who are kind of at the same level you know 113 half 246 marathon what type of mileage do you think that they run in training probably 70 to 80 miles a week. Um, but I would definitely, uh, if I was going to approach a new marathon training cycle, one thing I would do differently was probably in every other week cut back because knowing what I know about myself and my history of injury, I would want to make sure that if I have a good week of like 55, the next week I would, I would cut way back just to make sure that my body can have time to rest, recover and adapt and then continue building upon that. Right. And that is great advice to just say, you know, giving more cutback weeks, maybe doing a little bit less workouts, maybe more cross training. Um, If you're someone who kind of is falling into that category where you feel like you're more of an injury prone person, really just being cautious. And I know we've talked a little bit about, you know, injuries and coming back from them. And what is one advice? Like, I know sometimes people are really, you get cleared to run again after an injury or you're coming back. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is, you know, the first run back, they're doing three or four or five miles. Um, and what I thought was really interesting is you, coming back from an injury, you're doing run walks. Like, I mean, it, I, I sit there on the treadmill right next to him once and he was doing like 30 second run, a minute walk or something. Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it would depend on what the injury was that you're coming back from. If it's a muscular related injury that had a tendency to kind of cramp, you would definitely want to allow the blood, allow your muscle time to get the blood flow to that area. So doing the run walks, I think is going to be huge. I'd start with one minute on, one minute off, and then you just slowly increase each day. Um, you know, if you're coming back from like like an IT band 
pain or something like that, then maybe you could, you could go for like a mile or two the first day. Right. That is great to hear that. Even someone who is at the level that you're at, you know, you're coming back with just run walks. And I think that's the biggest misconception is, you know, people think they, they come back with a three mile run and and that does seem, you know, like you're being conservative, but it really isn't. Um, because that's the biggest thing. If you can be consistent with your training, that's going to be like your number one weapon there. And I think most people who are injury prone can attest to that once you kind of figure out, oh, right, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to make my body run more than X miles a week, even though everyone else is doing it. And it seems like the right thing to do. As long as you can just figure out what mileage your body likes, stick with it and try to be as consistent as possible, like year over year, giving your body that time. Because the second that you start bumping it up and you get to the point where, you know, you're injured again, you have to take time off. That cycle is what's holding you back. And I think just, you know, that, that can take years for an athlete to learn. Cause it can kind of feel a little isolating. I don't think a lot of people are, um, injury prone. Like what percentage of runners, like if you just had a guess are more injury prone, I don't know, probably like 20 to 25%. They say 50% of runners experience a running injury on a given year, but, you know, what's their definition of an injury? It could just be where you've got to take a couple days off. Um, I look at something that prevents you from even running more than a few steps um, for probably longer than a week or two as a, as a definition of an injury. Right. Um, so, there. I mean, injuries happen. Uh, some bodies are just more sensitive than others to, to injuries. Um, some, some bodies are just super durable. And I guess that's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum we can kind of go into now. Um, some people can really just hammer their bodies into the ground and not have bone injuries, not have muscle injuries, not have pretty much any injury. Um, people who kind of fall into that category, I'd say Ben Jacobs, you know, he for, I don't know, five, six, seven years was running a hundred miles a week. Um, the only injury that he ever had was falling on ice. So these people will experience injuries, but they won't necessarily be because they were running. It'll just be like, he, he fell on ice and tore something, you know? Um, I think that my body is pretty durable. I'm someone who can get away with doing really dumb stuff to my body and it doesn't break. Um, So just because you can get away with something doesn't mean that you should be training that way. And so I think people who are really durable, like I am, maybe like Ben was, um, they can fall into a different trap where they think... I'm invincible, right? Because your body, you see everyone else getting injured, but then you're not. And you kind of feel like, well, I can get away with this. Like the rules of training don't apply to me. And so that's really a scary place to to get into um, thinking that the rules of training don't apply to you. You can quickly go down that burnout path. Um, these people are not free from, you know, n- becoming burnt out, that is very common and will happen to people who have these very durable bodies. Um, It happened to me. It's happened to a lot of other people that I've um, coached over the years or been involved with over the years. Um, It's unfortunate when it does happen because, uh, you know, you could be a, a great athlete. Like being durable is like one of the best advantages you can have as a runner. But I think we have to be very careful not to fall into the trap of overtraining, thinking, okay, because my body can handle it, I'm going to go, go, go. Because just because your body can handle it doesn't mean it should. And so I guess just from your perspective, Jason, watching my running over the years, what are some things that you wish you could share with people like don't do this or like using me as an example? Um, What are things that I've done where you know that it's negatively impacted my training because I can get away with it, with my durability. I guess it just goes back to analyzing what are your goals, both short-term and long-term, and what are you doing to set yourself up for success um, and to be making that progress that you want to be making along the way. Um, Because, you know, if if you're going to make your long-term goal too soon, then maybe it's not challenging enough for you. So we definitely want to have those those key races or those um, kind of those targets to see, are we making the progress? Um, I think some signs that we could use to determine if people to make sure they're not going to overdo it would be um, looking at their energy level on a daily basis. Um, So this kind of gets into making sure people don't burn out. Um, So looking at uh, resting heart rate in the morning, uh, you can get your iron level checked. 
Um, analyze your sleep schedule. Those, those are good ways to make sure that you're staying consistent and you're not going to overdo it. Um, if those areas start to get a little foggy or you start to slip up, then you're going to slip into a maybe a, a dark period of, of where you're feeling really burnt out. So I think what's, what's more important is that you just continue to maintain positive mental energy towards running. Um, so yeah, I know that one of the questions was, are athletes more susceptible to burnout without knowing? And I think it really just depends on, are they allowing themselves time to kind of take a break or change something about their training? so that they can allow their body time to adapt differently. Right. And some people who, you know, are really durable, they're really great about taking time off mentally and just respectful of their body. But I think sometimes when people have, um, like, certain things that they're gifted with, like being able to be durable with the sport, um, we can kind of fall into those traps of, I know for me personally, and if this is your goal, that's great. That's fine. It was my goal also, but I wanted to become a marathon maniac. So that meant that I had to do um, a certain number of marathons within a t- certain tight time frame. And really when you're looking at like the rules of running, um, just big picture, you should never really be doing marathons back to back like that if you want to reach your optimal performance in a marathon. And so for me, it's like I raced a marathon and then I found out, oh, I can um, become a marathon maniac if I do two more marathons within 90 days. And so I didn't give myself time off after that first marathon. I was just like, I really got to become this marathon maniac. And so I dove in the next one and then the next one. And I was never injured. I did not get injured. Um, but it sent me into more of like a burnout phase and I didn't know it right away. And burnouts, it's sneaky. It, it creeps up on you. And I think sometimes people feel like it's a subjective thing and they think they can push through it. Um, and really it's not. And I think people who are durable can be more susceptible to burnout because usually um, the body will break, you know, some, some people are injury prone, your body's going to break before you really hit, um, severe mental burnout. But for these really durable athletes, it's the mental burnout and the, the other types of overtraining syndrome, um, are going to happen before like your body physically breaks. And I, I have friends, um, Elena, one of my friends, she has like a 2,500 day run streak, which I don't know, it must be like seven, eight years long now. Um, she's never had an injury that stopped her from running in seven or eight years, which is really mind blowing. If you're listening and you're someone who is injury prone, like I know um, Jason over here listening to that, every time he sees how many days in a row she's ran, it like blows his mind. But that just goes to show you like how different um, athletes are and the strengths and weaknesses that are there. Um, What do you think about run streaks? Um, I think they're okay. As long as you're someone who knows yourself well and you know that you're durable especially if you're keeping it limited to like a mile, you know, on your, on your rest days, I guess you would call them. But, um, I just, I just think like, especially after long races, like marathons or, you know, let's say you do something even longer than that. Um, just, I just think running the next day or even the next couple of days after that isn't quite necessary, uh, unless you are someone who's trying to kind of keep your streak going, but, uh, it's just not my cup of tea, but Hey, to each their own. Um, I just like to take some time off after I really do damage to my body. Right. And it also goes to say that just because you are more durable than someone else and you feel like you can run more days a week or you just are someone who doesn't really ever get injuries doesn't mean that you will never get an injury. Um, I've had injuries that kept me out of running. Um, So just being careful and knowing that just because, you know, you're more durable than someone else doesn't mean like you're bulletproof from ever getting injured. Um, and how this can help you in your training is just knowing kind of how to, how to frame up your training, what your body responds best to, you know, maybe you're someone who you can handle more mileage and you don't necessarily need to do cross training. Um, cause really running is a very specific sport. The more specific you can get to running, um, in your aerobic base buildup, which is, you know, running, biking, swimming, the better, um, the more you can do activities that are running instead of cross training, you are actually going to get better. But that's the thing is if you're someone who is injury prone, you need to be doing activities that will keep you healthy and able to train consistently. And that is why we have to add in those cross training activities like biking and swimming, because some people cannot physically handle increasing their mileage because their body will break down. Um, so just knowing that 
just because you're more durable, okay, that might mean you're running a little bit more mileage. Don't take that out of out of context here, though. You don't need to run a ton of mileage, just a little bit more than maybe your friend who is injury prone. You might be doing, you know, more strength training. You might be able to get away with doing more of that. Um, just just knowing that and also knowing that it's really important for you to still take rest because you're someone who probably feels like you don't need it as much, but you do. Um, and just knowing that you're kind of more susceptible to falling into those traps of maybe overtraining um, if possible or getting to that point where you're, you're running um, a little bit too much um, where you're not actually improving. And I think there's a zone of like stagnation that can happen for some athletes where you're not really improving, you're not not improving, and you just kind of are in this gray zone. So kind of talk a little bit about that with me, Jason. Have you ever seen someone who just kind of hits this gray zone where they're just not improving and not not improving? Um, what does that kind of look like for an athlete? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think that, you know, when you get stuck doing the same thing for too long, we're just not going to get the results that we want to see. So I think we definitely want to change something about our training. Um, kind of going back to earlier about the the speed versus the threshold versus the hills, um, maybe changing your mileage, that sort of thing. But if you've kind of been just doing the same stuff over and over again, you might be in that kind of that phase of stagnation, like Victoria mentioned. Um, I also think when we do try something new, we want to make sure that we are allowing our body time to adapt. And we want to have those little kind of checkpoints along the way to see, to make sure that our fitness is progressing. Um, And so one way we may do that is through races, but also just similar workouts, right? Like looking at paces, you know, how do we do on this similar workout as opposed to six weeks ago when we we did the same, you know, same, maybe, um, maybe not the same number of sets or reps, but the same actual distance and pace. Um, And then also like, is your mental kind of going back to your mental attitude and energy for running in the present moment? Like, how is that? If that's good, and you're optimistic, then I think you're doing a good job. Um, if you're kind of stagnant there, then maybe it's time for a little break or time to change something about your training. Right. I love how you talked about, you know, mental training kind of plays a role in there and how you have to be feeling good mentally and physically kind of at the same time. Um, and that kind of goes into finding your mileage sweet spot. And this is really important when we're talking about this, you know, if you're durable versus injury prone, finding that mileage sweet spot. So that's going to be the spot that allows you to train consistently cycle over cycle mm-hmm. And just really improve as a runner because if you're a kind of above that sweet spot, that's where we're going to see things like stagnation that we talked about. And then if you're really above, we're going to see overtraining syndrome. We're going to see injuries. We're going to see all of that. Um, and so if you're below your sweet spot on the, on the other end there, you're not going to see as much improvement just because you're not pushing yourself and you're not doing the progressive overload principle where your body is actually going to change. Um, you're just kind of stag- stagnant and maybe even not improving because you're not pushing yourself at all. Um, so we really want to be in that sweet spot where you're improving and being challenged, but you're not doing too much where you're causing injury, burnout, all of those things. Um, and that mileage sweet spot is going to look different for everyone. So you can't judge this based on, oh, well, I'm a 330 marathoner. So that means that I should be running, you know, X miles a week. It's different for everyone. And when you look at things like if you're injury prone or not, that's going to play a role. Um, Other things that are going to play a role in finding your mileage sweet spot are going to be, how long have you been training? Are you a new runner? Have you been doing this for 10 years? How many years have you been training consistently year over year? Um, If you've been running for 10 years consistently and you've hit 2000 miles a year, every year for 10 years, your training is going to look very different than someone who in the last 10 years has had four kids and had to take time off and then come back into the sport. Um, So as you can see, just people are just so unique. And so your mileage sweet spot is going to be unique. And it's also something that changes over time. So your mileage sweet spot back in 2017 might've been 40 miles per week. And now, you know, maybe you took some time off and now it's 30 miles a week because you're building back into it. Um, and that's okay in knowing that it changes and that it's not going to look like the person next to you. You're kind of on your own path there, and that's great. Um, and so then the last factor that we want to talk about, kind of moving away from the durability and the injury prone, is something that we have never even done really a podcast on this, which I feel like it could be its own podcast in and of itself, but it is mental toughness and mental grit. And I think that this is something that, yes, we're born with, you know, pain tolerance, but it's also something that's learned and developed 
over time. So this is definitely something that can be improved on, but I think sometimes people come into the sport with a certain background in a certain life story that helps shape them into being mentally tough versus not as mentally tough. And it doesn't mean just because, you know, you had a lot of experiences in your past where like you had to be mentally tough. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be more mentally tough. I think it's just a really interesting topic to think about um, the spectrum of mental toughness. I think some of it also has to do with how much you care about running and how, how much you really want to lay it out there about running. Um, so I guess, Jason, do you think this is something that you, it's a strength or a weakness of yours? And like, how would you figure that out? I think it's definitely more of a strength for me than comparing it to durability. Um, I think just being a lifelong runner and competing in middle school, high school, college in so many different conditions and distances, um, I think it just learned to embrace that races are hard and you're going to have to uh, show some grit to get the results that you want. And so, um, you know, as far as how do we assess how mentally tough a person is, uh, there's a couple different ways. We could look at race splits um, for yourself, determining how you did uh, during those tough spots in your race. Did you maintain your pace? Did you speed up? Did you slow down? Um, how did you respond after like the hills, that sort of thing? Um, also, what do you do when a negative thought comes to mind? How do you dismiss that and overcome that and still respond and finish strong? Um, you know, a lot of times in workouts especially, uh, but definitely in races, I'm always looking at my athletes like last 5K. So if they're running a half marathon, I'm paying uh, really close attention to the last like three miles just to see what is their average pace there. Is it faster than their average pace for the entire race? Um, did they pick it up or did they slow down or maintain? So um, I think those are some key ways you can gauge your own mental toughness um, and then continue just training through uh, tough conditions it would be a good way to increase your mental toughness. Um, I know that gets into another question of that she wrote here was how how can you become mentally tougher? Do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that it's really great to kind of hear that whole outline um, of mental toughness and if you think you're mentally tough and all that stuff. And I love how you said that because you've been running for you know 20 years now that you've kind of learned and built that over time. So this is definitely something that can be improved upon and learned and built. Um, and I know that from, you know, coming back after childbirth and pregnancy, you know, running through your pregnancy, you don't really push yourself. You don't have, you know, you're just running for exercise. You're not competitive, whatever. Um, and then, you know, you come back after giving birth and having a year where you're running, but you're not pushing yourself. And it's honestly really hard to relearn how to push yourself and like how hard you can push yourself. And I remember for me, it was like, oh my gosh, like this is very uncomfortable and getting used to being like super uncomfortable again. Um, and I think a lot of people, they stop, you know, when that uncomfortable and when that, that warning sign in our head is telling us, you know, got, you got to stop now. Um, when there is like another gear that I think most athletes could be tapping into, um, and I think that's a learned trait is learning. Like you, you might think you're at your limit, but you're not like there's something beyond that. And so I think really great runners and people who have been in the sport a long time, they can learn how, you know, you think the well is empty, but if you go down even further, like there's more there. Um, and that's really what's cool about running is breaking through and seeing that, nope, there's more here and, re-experiencing that after time off like was really eye-opening for me to understand like you know part of this is mental like you can improve and you can break through these barriers um, which is really cool but it's all just about how much you're willing to you know go down in that well and how how hard are you willing to push um and it, it can be fun you know pushing yourself can be fun because you get to see what happens you know when you push yourself and it can translate into other areas of your life. So I think mental toughness is definitely something that can be taught within the sport of running, you know, with practice, you know, in workouts on those last reps saying, you know what, like, I'm going to give it everything I can this last like 200 meter repeat of this workout, or I'm just gonna, you know, try as hard as I can today. And it's in those times where you're uncomfortable and you want to give up and you really just push through whatever is going on mentally, physically, emotionally, emotionally, 
that's when like you just hit this new runner's high where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I did something like I didn't think I could do. Um, and that is just the coolest thing about running. And that I think is what keeps me coming back into the sport um, time and time again. Uh, so it's definitely something that can be approved upon. Um, and yeah, do you have anything to add to how someone can improve their mental toughness over time? Or is it just something that takes practice? Yeah, I definitely think both. Um, like you said, workouts, finishing with your fastest rep being at the end, I think that that goes a long way for confidence. Um, and then I think you can also vary your workouts um, by doing like your speed first and then finishing with like a longer tempo just to prove to yourself like, oh, I still had something left in the tank. Um, I think hills are also great. And then um, I think anytime we just surpass what we thought we were capable of in that workout or that race, um, I think that goes a long way to, uh, you know, increase mental toughness and keep our, our energy um, high. Yeah, I love how you said that having your last rep be your fastest, that definitely takes some self-control. So also working on that. But then at the end, when you're really fatigued, mentally exhausted, emotionally drained from doing the workout, if you can just find that next gear and that next level and like bring it, um, doing that at the end of workouts when you're mentally exhausted really can help with that mental toughness. And I know um, there have been studies that have shown like doing mentally um, exhausting work or emotionally draining things before your run um, actually can increase your your mental toughness and your pain tolerance and all that because you're already mentally exhausted when you're going out there for your workout. And what a lot of people don't understand is that doing a running workout is mentally exhausting. It's emotionally draining because you have to be really focused. You have to really push yourself. And if you already have like a full day of like being emotionally exhausted, emotionally pushing yourself, and then you have to like find a way to to get this workout done, that can be um, a huge benefit. And I know, you know, a lot of people run first thing in the morning. That could be an advantage for your running workout because you don't, you don't have a lot of emotional stuff that you're coming to the workout with, but if you work out at the end of a long day, you know, if you're a teacher, a lawyer, whatever, and, and after a long day of work, it's six, seven, eight o'clock at night, you're going out there and hammering a workout, a lot can be said for, you know, the type of mental grit and toughness that it takes after all of that exhausting stuff that happened all day long um, to go in and do a workout, uh, which... Which is great. And I think another thing that can help people become mentally tougher, you know, instead of doing a workout when you're emotionally tired or whatever, is running in um, adverse conditions, which I know people are like, well, you should be safe. And yes, you have to be safe. You have to make sure you're safe. We're not asking you to do anything dumb. But I think for me, uh, when I kind of like cop out and say, ah, 20 degrees, I want to run on the treadmill, or oh, it's 80 today or 70, I want to run on the treadmill, when in reality, like I'm still safe outside, I could still do the workout outside, Um, it's like a choice where it's just, it feels uncomfortable to go out there in those conditions, or it's raining, Um, as long as you're safe, I think, you know, go outside, as long as, you know, you're able to, and that, and you're, you know, not going to do any damage to yourself or others, just go outside. Um, there's really no reason to use the treadmill unless, you know, you have kids at home, you can't leave or it's not safe where you live or those sort of things. Those are all great reasons to use the treadmill. But I think when we're just like, oh, I'm not really feeling it. Uh, you know, the treadmill, it's more of a safe bet. That's, it's fine. But like, I think from building like mental toughness, I think when the conditions aren't ideal is like the best time to do a workout. And what do you, what do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think those are the days where you were actually able to um, push through those negative thoughts and go through with going outside, even though it's cold and you don't want to. I think that does that goes a long way for your mental toughness and your confidence. Um, and you know, as far as what Victoria said, training in adverse conditions. This was an, an extremely tough year uh, so far in the fall for Minnesota, specifically like cross country athletes. Um, everything, every time they had a race, it was either windy, cold, rainy, muddy snow. So I think that, um, you know, it's important to train in those conditions and get outside because the more comfortable you can, the more used to you, 
the more used to um, running in those conditions, you're going to get comfortable pushing those negative thoughts aside and overcoming them. That will translate over into the race. Um, and that can just help you have, have a good race. And even thinking back to when we were in Boston in 2015, it was a really crummy day outside. Um, it was really windy and rainy. Um, not like 2018 for those of you that ran that year, but it was, it was pretty rough and it was still a, a decent day to have a PR if you were mentally engaged and focused throughout the entire race. So I think it took a little bit of mental toughness and experience in running in those conditions in order to, um, have a good day. So that could apply to similar weather um, at any time in any race distance. Right. I think me personally, naturally, I'm not the most mentally tough person. Um, like I'm someone, if I stub my toe, like I'm very dramatic. <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't think I'm naturally mentally tough. But I think um, one, one thing about myself is like knowing that over the years, I'm not the most mentally tough person um, as finding ways like how can I become more mentally tough uh, when it comes to, you know, running and other things. And I think running definitely in adverse conditions is one easy way that I've been able to become more mentally tough because, you know, it's easy when the weather is is nice and there's not a lot of wind and it's perfect running weather to go out there and, you know, crush a workout. And that's a great confidence booster. Um, and I think for a couple of years in there, I would, you know, shift workouts around or I'd say, Oh, well, it's windy, you know, 15, 20 mile per hour winds that you better believe that that's going to affect how you feel. That's going to affect your pacing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on when it's when it's really adverse conditions out there, or when it's like rainy, when it's 100% humidity, all these things are going to impact your performance. Um, and so what I would do, because I wasn't super mentally strong, and I'm still not, but um, I would say, oh, well, I'll do it on the treadmill, or I'll do it inside, or, or I would just shift it to the day that had better weather. And one thing that I started to do in the last, I don't know, year or two, was like, all right, terrible weather out there better still do my workout and it's almost funny because it's like you know it's going to be really really hard and that's going to be the most challenging part of the workout is just facing the adverse conditions and so I kind of shifted my oh I have to hit all my paces and oh like if my workout doesn't go perfectly then you know it's like I stopped reading into all of those things and I just said this is an opportunity for you to practice your mental toughness because in those adverse conditions when your splits are way off and you're not hitting your paces and it's hot and you're uncomfortable and it feels harder than it should, that's how you might feel on race day. And you know you need to prepare for that. And the best way to prepare for it is to practice in those types of conditions. Practice on days that you know you're going to feel like crap um, due to the weather. You know, like when you're fighting 20 mile per hour headwinds during a workout. Uh, and you're not hitting your paces, well, that's making you stronger so that when you're in a race and, you know, you see one split that's, oh, it's a little bit slower, I'm slowing down, and it's not windy, you know, it allows you to have faced those mental demons already. Because, you know, we all have those thoughts when we slow down and things start to feel harder than they quote-unquote should. Um, And so that's just one way that you can really experience that before you're in race day conditions. And I think that's the biggest thing is practicing. Um, cause I think, you know, over the years, obviously I've gotten better at this and that's how it is for everyone. Practice makes perfect. And anytime you're using ways to kind of get out of that, Oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Oh, you know, I don't want to be in a situation where I might not hit my splits or whatever. Um, that's not really setting yourself up for success necessarily all the time. Um, so I guess another question that we can kind of dive into here is like, there's people who are mentally tough at like the long distance. And then there's people who are mentally tough at the short distance. Like I know some people who just hate the pain of like that anaerobic, that, that burning fast pain of like the mile. And then I know some people where it's like, they don't like the pain of that long stuff where like your joints start achy you feel nauseous. Like, so tell me a little bit about like the different pains that you've experienced in the sport of running. What does the pain of like the mile feel like versus the pain of the marathon? And how do you prepare like for each one of them? Like, cause I know it's a little bit different. 
So what do you do specifically for like long versus short and how do they feel? Man, this brings me back to thinking about running the mile um, all out indoors in college. But I think like what you just said, when your body kicks into that anaerobic phase, you know, you just feel it's so weird. Like things are going numb. You feel like you're going to trample over yourself. Like you just want to stop instantly. And, um, you know, back then I used to think, oh, this felt, it should feel easy. And so, you know, until like the last lap, it should feel easy. It should just feel, you're always feeling like you're on that verge of like uncomfortableness, but just riding the line. Um, honestly that back then it, that's what it felt like as a college athlete. And now I can't even run you know, within 30 seconds of my mile PR without it feeling like I'm going to die. So I think it's, I think it's really about like the consistency over time, the training, the types of workouts you're doing. Um, and you know, if one area is tougher than the other right now, it's probably just that you're, you're, it's not so much of your lacking mental toughness. It's just that your training is lacking in that area. Um, it can take a long time to work up to the area that you want to be in. Right. No, I love how you said that when you were in college doing the mile stuff, it felt quote unquote easy. And now it's like, imagine doing a mile is like the most painful thing ever because we're not used to doing that. So when you're in college focusing on the one mile, you are probably going to be doing stuff that is, you know, 200 meter repeats, 100 meter repeats, 400 meter repeats. Uh, but when you're, you know, not used to doing any of those type of repeats. You don't know what that mile pain is going to feel like um, in comparison. So I think it's all about what you're kind of training for. And so for us, we've been focused more on those longer distance races. So when we do short stuff, our body's like, what the heck is this? Um, And it's definitely a different different type of pain. Um, I think the shorter stuff is more, it kind of feels more like you're weightlifting or doing something like all out. Like imagine like just doing a bunch of crazy lifts and then like sprinting, you know, like that to me is what the mile feels like. Um, and then at the end it's, it's almost like you're just so exhausted. Um, more like the burning in your lungs and like your legs just, I don't know, it's a different feeling. Whereas the end of a marathon is like, you have so much time to think. And that's where the mental toughness where you're just you have to stay positive and you have to make sure your mind doesn't go to a mental place um, where you're just feeling really negative. That can just ruin a marathon. Um, and then there's only so many things that can go wrong during a marathon, you know, going out too fast. It gives you a lot of time to just really think about like, oh gosh, you know, I shouldn't have gone out so fast. And up in your brain, you know, you say a lot of things yourself over 26.2 miles. And if you're saying negative things for three, four, five hours, it's going to affect you. And so I think in some ways, those longer distance races are definitely mentally harder because you have more thoughts to deal with and navigate through versus, you know, a one mile race, you're out there for five minutes. Like it's more about, okay, this is pain is very, very, very intense, but it's going to be over. Um, and that is more something you can learn through training and focusing more specifically on the short stuff. Whereas that long distance stuff, I mean, that, that's a whole different beast of pushing through uh, pain there. So what is your experience with uh, the marathon? And do you think like you're mentally tough at the marathon? Or what are ways that you've learned to improve over time? I think mentally I've remained tough in my, tough in my marathon races. I just think physically um, that's really been the thing that has slowed me down or forced me to walk if I'm cramping. But, um, you know, throughout all my years of running fast races, I've gained mental toughness and I'll, I'll give myself those constant reminders. And the reminders I'm constantly giving myself are, um, number one, you're committing to finish. Number two, the only thing you can control are your own thoughts. So I can't control the wind or the weather Um, but I'm just going to control my thoughts, make sure they're positive. And then really the third reminder I'm giving myself is always focused around what are my goals? Um, and it's okay to adjust your goals mid race. If it's, if you know, it's not going to be your a race or you're not going to hit your goals, adjust and create a new goal for yourself so that you're not just giving up. Right. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on mental toughness at this point. Um, I know Sarah Sellers who, got second place at the Boston Marathon 2018 when it was like hurricane-like conditions. She 
said, you know, the reason that I ran so well or part of the reason is like the mental toughness that she built from Mm -hmm. doing her nursing shifts and then going and running after. And I think a lot can be said for just pushing through mentally, like in life on those day-to-day things, um, just getting uncomfortable. And that's a great way that you can practice mental toughness is just in your day-to-day life. So I really am glad that you were able to come on the podcast today, Jason, and talk through some of these strengths and weaknesses that um, a lot of runners have faced and kind of decode what it all means because I think it's really an important topic so that runners can become better and train more specifically um, for their strengths and weaknesses and everyone is unique. So if you have any questions about training or you just want to chat with one of us, a coach, about these strengths and weaknesses and how you can train specifically to them, you can visit our website at www.run4prs.co and we can chat more today. So thanks for listening.